This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today we are welcoming naturopathic Dr. Rishma Walji. Dr. Rishma has 16 years experience helping people get pregnant and stay pregnant and adjust to parenthood. She's here today to talk to us about hormones. I don't know about you, but I've had lots of questions about what my hormones even do or not responsible for, how they change month to month with my cycle, and obviously also during this big massive change of pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, all of those things. And Dr. Rishma is here to really help us understand our hormones during this time. She also helps us to identify hormone imbalance and share some really practical things we can do to help with hormone imbalance. Before diving in, I just want to read a review from iTunes. This review comes from kbelly3118, and it is titled, Speaking to My Heart. I only had to listen to one clip of an episode to know I would subscribe to this podcast. I love the topics. I love that they aren't afraid to talk about taboo things, and I love that it's relatable, inspiring, and informative. Thank you so much for the reviews that keep coming in. Again, I appreciate you guys. I love hearing your feedback. Otherwise, I'm here by myself, not even knowing who's out there listening in the world. So I love your feedback. Thank you again for the amazing review. And now let's hear from Dr. Rishma. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Rishwa, thank you so much for being here with us today. I've been looking forward to this interview for a couple of weeks now that we've had it booked. And I just wanted to say welcome and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. So why don't we start off with, I've been so curious how you got into this field and how fertility and during the pregnancy period, like where did that passion come from and how did you get into this field? Yeah, that's a good question. I've actually been doing this for just over 16 years now. My gosh. (laughs) Um, And so I started off actually in pain management and immune health because I had some of my own health issues and trying to kind of solve family members. You know, you have that sort of passion when you go into, into it. And I was really interested in natural medicine and So I kind of went into it at a time when people didn't really know much about prevention and natural approaches and things like that. And then I ended up seeing a bunch of patients actually who had hormonal issues and one patient in particular that really stuck with me where she had such incredible pain with her periods that she came in and was just completely fed up with it. And she just said, you know, get rid of my periods. I'm just sick of all this. And 
no one's going to give me a hysterectomy. And she just was really intense about it. And I thought, you know, what is going on with her? And so we went into more detail and it turned out after working with her, we realized that she had endometriosis. Oh, wow. She had never been told and endometriosis if any of your audience knows, it's a very intense condition where a lot of women will get incredible pain, um, you know, doubled over in pain, unable to function for days at a time. And then they get their period, of course, every month or sometimes more frequently. And so it was really debilitating. She was getting painful intercourse. She wasn't able to have kids. She had all of these different things that were going on in her body and no one had talk to her about it. They just said, oh, well, you know, you have bad periods, just take some Tylenol and you'll be done. And so I really felt passionate that we need to be educated about our own bodies and about our own hormones. And then since then, I've gone on to have my own kids and, you know, seen women at various ends of transition, whether it's through pregnancy or menopause. I ended up being a doula for a little while because it's just such a miraculous thing to be in a room when someone's delivering a baby. So that was really fun for me. So I just realized that it was my passion and I really wanted to educate people about what's going on in their bodies because we don't talk about it and we really should. Yeah. It sounds like you've really become like an advocate for women's health. That's amazing. Yeah. I feel like that. And I think also coming from a a more conservative culture, I guess, like I have a South Asian background and I think a lot of cultures are like this, but we don't talk about these things. I was lucky that, you know, my mom was very open with me, but a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about their pain or, you know, their sexual health or intimacy or hormones or discharge, like all of these things that we we have every single day and and that impact our lives every day, but we just don't really know what it means or, or what we can do about it. Absolutely. And I find that with pregnancy, then you go into this crash course of being exposed in your body and, and seeing so many specialists and things in so many different ways. I, I kind of joke that I was modest or had privacy until I had babies and you're kind of out there for everyone and you're seeing all kinds of specialists and things. So um, having someone who's trusted that can help you know, that you form a relationship with and a healthcare professional that you see throughout that process that you trust is so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right about pregnancy. We're sort of thrust into this place where all of a sudden our bodies are not our own. People are poking and prodding and we're going through this roller coaster ride of emotion and hormones and we don't really know what's happening to our bodies. And in my practice in particular, I find I do a lot of work with fertility clients and their bodies are also, you know, very much specimens because they're trying to figure out things or they're taking medications. And so it becomes even more of a challenge after they get pregnant and deliver because their bodies have already been through so much. Um, so I, I do think it's an important area. Yeah. So can you talk to me a little bit about, and one of the things I'll admittedly, I don't have a lot of understanding in how hormones work in general, I guess, how they are supposed to function normally, how they change in pregnancy, how they change postpartum. I feel like a lot gets chalked up to hormones. You know, I'm like crying while I'm making spaghetti for dinner <laughs> when I'm pregnant. My husband's like, what is wrong? Like, I don't know. I think my hormones are just all out of control, you know, and we chalk so much up to hormones, but we really lack an understanding of what they do, how they play a role. So is that something that you have experience in that you can help? 
help us understand a little bit more? Yes, for sure. I talk about this all day, every day. So let's for sure talk about hormones. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I do think that we need to understand them, but also we do chalk a lot of things up to hormones and sometimes they are responsible and sometimes they're not. And we also, I don't know if you feel this way, but we also feel sometimes that we can't do anything about it, that, oh, you know, my hormones are who they are or or what they are. And I now have to deal with that. And that's not necessarily the case. There are things we can do to help to manage the hormones. We do have to understand that they do change over time though. And I think in our society, we're just, you know, so conditioned to live in a world where you have to be fully functional every single day, you know, fully productive and on point all day, every day, where for our hormones, that's not necessarily the case. We have certain times where we feel more vulnerable, certain times where we feel more creative, more, more, you know, productive, more intuitive. And so I think that does play a role and we have to understand our hormones to be able to actually understand our ability to do certain things at certain times. And so you asked a good question about the transition of hormones and what happens in your body is when you're going through your menstrual cycles, your hormones actually do fluctuate throughout the month. So when we talk about hormonal balance, I think that's a bit of a Uh, you know, a red herring, like we're not actually going to be able to get hormonal balance all the time because you're supposed to have fluctuations. What we want to do is make sure that we have fluctuations that don't come with a lot of extra symptoms, things that we can manage and that we understand. And so at the beginning of our menstrual cycle, so if you think about when you bleed, that would be the first day, the first day you bleed is the first day of your cycle. So that's the beginning of your, your cycle, let's say. That's when the hormones start to shift. And for simplicity, let's say that mostly that's an estrogen time. And then in the middle of the cycle, when we ovulate, you get another hormone that kind of kicks in. It's an ovulation hormone and that triggers your body to ovulate and release an egg. And then after that, you end up getting more of a predominance of progesterone, which is more of a second half of the cycle type of hormone. And so you have this sort of up and down movement of your hormones throughout the cycle. And that happens every single month, assuming you have a regular cycle. If you don't have a regular cycle, that's a different conversation. But generally speaking, you have this estrogen phase, you have an ovulation phase, you have a progesterone phase, and then of course you have the bleeding part. So usually we break up the menstrual cycle into four sort of distinct parts that kind of help you understand the hormones a little bit better. And then when you get pregnant, your body is not ovulating anymore and is really trying to build up that uterine lining where the baby kind of sits in in your body and your uterus and it needs to have sort of a bed of, you know, nourishment and blood vessels and things like that. And so that's where progesterone really takes a big role. And so when you're pregnant, you have a lot of progesterone in your body in order to help sustain and maintain that pregnancy. And so that fluctuation monthly is not there, but you have a really heavy amount of progesterone that you maybe normally don't feel during your menstrual cycle, which is why we feel sometimes swollen or sometimes gassy or sometimes, you know, different types of emotions and different things during pregnancy because you have all this progesterone. And then once you deliver your baby, you deliver the baby, but you know, basically, depending on how long your delivery is, you will deliver the baby in anywhere from, you know, a couple hours to a day or however long your labor is. But after that point, your hormones drastically shift. And so labor in comparison to, you know, how quickly you need to adjust your hormones is pretty short. I mean, some people have, I had a very long labor, but the switch in my hormones was actually very fast because before I had all this progesterone and then after your progesterone drops drastically because when you deliver your baby, the placenta, which is usually also responsible for progesterone, 
comes out of your body, you deliver the placenta, however, whether it's vaginal birth or C-section, however it happened, but now you all of a sudden don't have this placenta that's releasing all this progesterone. And so your progesterone levels drop pretty suddenly. So that's why the first week after you deliver, it's like, oh my gosh, you just feel so many different types of things happening because your body's going through such an intense shift in hormones. And then we have Mm. this other very beautifully complex system of other hormones. So you have hormones being released for breastfeeding or for breast milk. So you've got prolactin, you've got hormones that are responsible for contracting the uterus, which is oxytocin. And that kind of gives you a different feeling of bonding. And it's also related to trust and anxiety and arousal and all these other things. Prolactin has many different functions. And then there's one more that a lot of people don't talk about, but that's called relaxin. And its job is actually to make your bones a little bit more lax so that you can actually deliver because your pelvis has to kind of separate a little bit to let the baby out. And so during pregnancy, we feel imbalanced or a little bit more clumsy. That's because this hormone is meant to kind of let your bones be a little more loose so that you can actually deliver that baby. And so again, afterwards, you kind of feel like you're you're a different person. You know, your hormones are shifting quite a lot. Your emotions are influenced because they're very much linked to your emotions. And then your body's maybe more clumsy and then you're exhausted. So all of these things are changing so rapidly. And so I think it's amazing that women can actually go through this process and do it. Uh, But I also think that we tend not to understand what's going on in our bodies. And then we sort of blame ourselves or we sort of, you know, put all this expectation on ourselves that we have to be completely functional and normal, which is, I think, unrealistic. Absolutely. And it's so interesting how these changes affect us. Like, so if we talk about baby blues, for example, or you're talking about that crash in hormones after birth, it's, I experience it so differently. Actually, the first week or so after birth, I, with all three of my babies, I was on like an absolute high. Like I was so happy and like wanted to take on the world and felt like I could do anything. And like a week or two in, I kind of crash a bit. And it's pretty much like I could almost, you know, count to the day when it, when it was going to happen. It's like the baby blues set in a little bit, the reality of sleep deprivation sets in a little bit, breastfeeding and your milk comes in and there's all these different changes going on in your body. And then, you know, people experience those baby blues and stuff. Would you correlate like baby blues to that hormonal shift after? Absolutely. I think there's a lot to it though. So uh, from my perspective, of course, I talk about hormones and I talk about lifestyle and, and we can get into that detail as well. I definitely think there's also a mental emotional component, which would be more your area of expertise, but certainly there are so many different pieces. But it's interesting that you explained that one, you know, first few days or a week, even where you're almost on a high, I think it depends on the person and how they have been functioning prior to having their baby because what happens is you naturally get this high from your adrenaline, your stress hormone that just gets released when you deliver the baby because it's, you know, exciting and you have to take care of this baby. And so you're almost on a high, which is like an adrenaline type of response. And for some people that is a long lasting phase. And for some people it's a short lasting phase. And I find it usually depends on if you've had a rough pregnancy, if you've had a rough fertility process, if you've had uh, no sleep for a while, if you haven't been able to you know, get any rest during the pregnancy. And so I find for some people it actually gets worse 
uh, or it actually gets shorter as you have more children because you're more tired with each subsequent pregnancy usually when you have a toddler that's up all night or something like that. And so if you yeah. have that adrenaline high, that's quite normal, but it's not necessarily the reproductive hormones that cause that. It's the stress hormones that cause that. And then when you get settled into it with reality, you're also not sleeping very well your body's exhausted. And so that's when the hormonal shift kind of that adrenaline high sort of fades. And then you notice that, oh, actually, it's not as, you know, rosy as I expected it was going to be at the beginning, or, you know, depending on how your recovery was, if you if you were bleeding or not bleeding. So there's a lot of different factors. But certainly with baby blues, I do find that the hormones play a role. In fact, I also find there are other hormones that no one really talks about, because they're not related to reproductive uh, hormones. But um, endorphins and things like that. So these pain, pain hormones and pain sort of neurotransmitters that actually are released when you experience pain and when we work through pain management. And so that actually plays a role too, because I do find that sometimes when people have had to go through surgery or if they've gone through C-section or they've had epidural, sometimes that endorphin piece is not felt by them as much because they've maybe had that pain management earlier on in the labor. And then I find that those women will tend to have a little bit more likelihood of having postpartum blues as well, because they didn't have that rush of endorphins during the during the labor and the delivery. And that can impact your ability to bond with the child or how you feel. So there's so many different pieces. And I think we don't really take into account whether the person has social support or someone helping her baby or if she's getting any sleep or any naps like that all will impact your hormones as well and that lack of sleep will really shift your adrenaline and your cortisol and that then impacts your reproductive hormones as well so i think it all plays a big role in terms of the hormones and your response to those hormones and then everything postpartum the sleep the nutrition all of that stuff will play a role as well Absolutely. Like when we talk about risk factors for postpartum depression or anxiety, like it's not a clear cut, you know, causation, like one thing causes it. It's uh, multiple different things that put you at risk, right? So like lack of support, whether it's an actual lack of support, like you live apart from your family or perceived an emotional lack of support, feeling disconnected from other moms and other people, um, whether those things run in your family, right? Like whether there's been a predisposition to other mental health challenges in the past, whether whether you've experienced anxiety and depression before being pregnant or having children. So like you said, it's not just that clear cut, this, this hormones cause this, or this causes this, right? It's, it's a complex, like we're very complicated human beings and we try our best to support all of these different areas. But if you are at odds with your partner, let's say, or you're going through a separation or divorce when you've got an infant, like your adrenaline and your, all of these different things are going to be different than maybe someone who's got that support or whatever. Yeah, so, absolutely. And I yeah. do find that in medical circles, sometimes we talk about postpartum blues to be quite early. So, you know, four weeks postpartum, six weeks postpartum, you know, a couple of weeks, but I actually find that some women will experience these types of emotional changes well after that. And so then they don't necessarily identify it as issues that are happening postpartum, but it might very well be. It's just that maybe they're not identifying that or they're thinking, well, I had my baby three months ago, so I should be fine by now, but that's not necessarily the case. 
Right. And that's definitely one of the things I hope to address on this podcast and upcoming episodes is that difference between baby blues versus postpartum. Because I think that um, most women, majority of women experience baby blues. And then there are going to be still, I think it's in like the 20% in developed countries and more like 30 to 40% in developing countries that experience some sort of maternal mental health challenge after birth. Yeah, it's like the statistics are just astounding and there's such a lack of support for moms, which really kind of lights my fire and passion for, you know, working with with women to support them. So one of the things I hope to get into in later podcasts is really distinguishing the difference between postpartum depression and baby blues because baby blues are something that, like we said, many women experience, but your predominant mood is going to be happy and it's going to, you're going to have tearful moments and you're going to be stressed out and you're adjusting to motherhood after all, which is an, an like a huge roller coaster ride. Um, but where that crosses the line into postpartum depression is like you, your mood is predominantly feeling really down and your energy levels, you have a hard time caring for yourself, like simple things like taking a shower and doing these little self-care daily activities for yourself become challenging. And then bonding with baby, you might feel really disconnected. So there are these um, warning signs and things to look for, right? That distinguish those baby blues. So yes, the baby blues are like a shorter period. Um, maybe they can be experienced a little bit into that adjustment to motherhood, you know, the first few weeks or whatever. But if they really linger and if there's a real kind of heaviness and you can't can't break out of it or distract yourself from it, then it's, it has more of like a postpartum depression flair to it, right? Yeah, that's really helpful to clarify the difference. Just as you're mentioning the bonding to baby and Uh, feeling those emotions. Uh, I also wanted to mention, I don't know if a lot of people know about oxytocin. I think I mentioned it earlier when it's, it's helpful for contraction of the uterus. And a lot of people really just think that that's all that it does is that it, it contracts the uterus, but it's actually very important for bonding and for, you know, it's sort of the feel good, like cuddling type of hormone. And so that's the one that, you know, you go through this labor and this delivery and your body goes through really just, you know, incredible feats. And then you still want to cuddle your baby and you're like, oh, this is the most beautiful. But, you know, after you've really gone through something so intense and it's usually because of oxytocin that your body actually still wants to bond with this baby. Obviously, some people have a hard time with that afterwards, but that's sort of the hormone that is really helpful for that Um, that trust and that recognition and that bonding sort of uh, experience. And so it definitely does make a difference when your hormones are imbalanced, because if that oxytocin had any issues or if there was any um, changes in the oxytocin fluctuations, then it might be even harder to bond with the baby. And then, of course, given all the other factors, that can make a, a difference, too. That's really interesting because I actually speak with a lot of women and this is like a myth that I try and bust with women is that not everyone is going to have this immediate magical bond with their infant. Like it's some women experience a lot of guilt for kind of looking at their baby and feeling maybe like nothing, you know, or having gone through a traumatic birth and maybe even having a little bit of resentment for what this little human has just, you know, put their body through. So in terms of people who maybe don't have that, that oxytocin, really that, that 
drive in them to bond with baby initially, are there ways to stimulate it or are there ways to help them to get that oxytocin flowing? Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely will. And and it's actually pretty common for both moms and dads, you know, any kind of partner who it's definitely a hard thing. I I know in this conversation, we're talking about uh, moms mostly, but it's definitely a hard thing to really feel that connection, especially if you have had a traumatic birth or if you feel unsupported in any way, it's actually quite common. But when it comes to oxytocin, for sure, that is a problem. And although I haven't seen a lot of research on this, I've noticed just clinically over the years that uh, women who have had a C-section or who haven't experienced the contraction of the uterus where their oxytocin usually, you know, jumps up, or if they've had, say, a preterm birth where their baby was born really early, then that oxytocin hadn't had a chance to really peak um, during their labor. And so they often will have a harder time too. So I don't know if you've noticed that, if it depends on how their labor progressed or how their pregnancy progressed, if they have more of a risk of having those emotions. But I've noticed that that happens. And there are ways of improving the bonding. Sometimes we'll tell women to um, imagine their baby. So if they're, let's say they're breastfeeding, you know, really just like connect with that baby, spend some time, do skin to skin, that can sometimes help. Sometimes it helps just to get some space so that you're actually getting that alone time where you feel like you can recover, especially if it was a traumatic birth. Um, breastfeeding also is supposed to help as well, because although we're also talking about prolactin in breastfeeding, oxytocin is also another hormone that is really linked to breastfeeding as well. And so if you're not breastfeeding, if you're able to even pump for a little while, because I know a lot of women do have struggles either with breastfeeding or emotional, they feel, you know, very emotionally drained. And so they choose not to breastfeed, which is totally fine. We always want to make sure that, you know, healthy mom, healthy baby, whatever works for you. But if you can breastfeed or if you can pump, you know, obviously if there's any support that will help, but that sometimes will trigger that oxytocin uh, as well. And so we really look at it on a case by case basis to see what would help that, that mom and what would help her in the short term, but also what would help her in the long term. All right. And from a maternal mental health or like a therapy perspective, one of the things that I encourage moms to do is to have, like you said, that skin to skin or those gratitude cuddles with their baby, you know, like spend that time really intentionally cuddling and thinking about the things that you're grateful for and you're thankful for playing little piggy with their toes, smiling and being silly and just making eye contact. These sound like very simple things. But these are ways to develop that relationship and that bond with your baby, even from infant newborn stage. And it can be a little bit of a one-sided relationship, it feels like in the beginning, because you're not getting a whole lot back. You're doing a whole lot of caring for this little dependent human, you know, and you're not getting a lot in return from them until they start the cooing and the smiling and they start to show kind of that, that reciprocal appreciation and love back to you. Then it starts to feel a little bit more rewarding, but yeah, lots of different ways, even for non-breastfeeding moms to be able to build that connection and that bond with their baby. And it's never too late to do that. If you don't feel it immediately, it's something that can be developed from now. You know, there's lots of different ways to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think it is hard that first few weeks when you're not getting any response and you just feel like you're almost being used or you're a cow and you just have to like keep feeding every day, you know, like it doesn't feel very... Uh, reciprocal. So that's a really good point. But something else that we can offer them, um, if they are having a hard time connecting with baby oxytocin, it's also considered the love hormone. And so if you are cuddling with your spouse, if you are feeling, 
you know, connected to your spouse or you're feeling connected to your sister or your mom and that person's cuddling with you and just expressing love or if your spouse in any way is supporting you and you're feeling gratitude to that, that can also help because the love hormone is not just love between mom and baby. It could be love between anyone you feel close to and connected to. So that's another sort of non-conventional way to maybe stimulate, stimulate that sensation that then can be transferred over to the mom and baby relationship. I love that because that's reciprocal and feeling appreciated and getting those needs met in your partner or in your mummy group or friends that you have that can, you know, value and appreciate all the things that you're doing during the, especially those newborn weeks are really, uh, like can be really tough sometimes. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments, researching doctors, reading reviews, Making phone calls to book appointments? It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. 
Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. So another really interesting question that I've had from some moms and I've seen quite a bit is this kind of emotional response that happens with milk letdown. And I know that you aren't a lactation consultant or who I could kind of bring this to, but I'm curious if you have any insight into that and and why that might happen or what's happening with our hormones during that time. Yeah, absolutely. It's quite a common symptom actually to feel emotional during a letdown or especially I find when the milk comes in. So the first few days after you deliver, you just have the colostrum and then your milk comes in usually a few days later, depending on, you know, how the birth went and things like that, if it's your first child or so if it takes a few days when your milk does actually come in, that's usually when women have quite a big emotional release. And so that also is partly oxytocin, which is helpful for the letdown and then prolactin, which is helpful for building the breast milk and for breastfeeding. And so uh, it is a shift in the hormones because your body actually has to create the milk, but then also let down the milk. And so women will also notice that the letdown will be a little bit more difficult if they're distracted or they're busy, especially that first little while when you're breastfeeding is starting to get established, your breast milk is starting to get established. So if you have to pump, let's say, and you're having trouble with latch, then a lot of times if you're pumping with a plastic you know, pump, then your letdown won't be as strong, your milk won't come in as strongly. And that's because the hormones need to feel that bonding, that connection, that relaxation, which is another really big piece if you haven't slept at all. And if you haven't, you know, really had any relaxation time, then all the adrenaline is still there. And so you're not going to release the milk in the same way. And so one of the major things that lactation consultants will recommend is a lot of skin to skin, a lot of rest, a lot of water, nutrition obviously makes a difference. But all of that is so that they can overpower that adrenaline response and then create a more safe and gentle environment for the oxytocin and the prolactin to kick in. So interesting with my first baby that I was not expecting, you know, the little bit of a roller coaster that I went through when my milk came in. And that I feel like, again, has multiple reasons. I was a new mom. I had no idea how to breastfeed. My boobs got so engorged that baby wasn't getting any milk and he was ragey and there was so many things I had to learn. So I feel like sleep deprivation and a a bunch of other things played a role in how challenging that first period was for me. But knowing that it's common for a lot of women to experience though that like that little bit of a roller coaster ride or get emotional when their milk comes in I feel like is really freeing to know that it wasn't just because I was a new mom you know other people also experience that and it's common because our body is just going through this massive change. Yeah, it's so common that I actually prep the dads or the birth partners or whoever, you know, the the grandma, whoever's going to be with that mom after delivery. I usually prep them and I say, she's probably going to have some emotional reaction when her milk comes in or when she's learning to breastfeed and she's letting down. Your job is to support her and encourage her and tell her she's doing a great job because they often will wonder why she's crying and saying, oh, I'm a bad mom or whatever, whatever she's feeling. Um, and they don't know what to do about it. And they're kind of, you know, taken aback because they she was fine yesterday. Now today she's not. And so I usually warn them and prep them. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was totally me. I was totally a mess. And like, yeah, I had to call my midwife. I'm like, my baby is not getting any milk. And you know, and I can understand 
why people struggle with breastfeeding so much or have a hard time getting through those first few weeks are just like nothing can really <laughs> prepare yeah. you yeah, for them. It's so true. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so why don't we kind of step back to the big picture here a little bit? And if someone is struggling with a hormone imbalance of some kind, like what are the signs and symptoms that people need to be aware of? And then also we can kind of start to step into like, how do you help them in their role of kind of getting those hormones back on track or however? Yeah, good question. So I definitely, I want women to understand some of the fluctuations are normal, right? Like we have to go through some of these changes in order to be able to build our bodies back up in order to you know, have our bodies sort of readjust after the roller coaster that was pre-pregnancy into pregnancy and delivery. So some uh, fluctuation is expected, but you might also fear you might also feel symptoms that are a little bit outside of the norm or maybe more intense than you should be. So you know, of course, weight gain is considered normal. Of course, you've had a pregnancy and all of that stuff. But if you're noticing that there's an unusual amount of weight gain or you're um, feeling extra sluggish, this is very hard to differentiate when you're sleep deprived and you're stressed and but sometimes that can indicate a thyroid imbalance which is quite common during pregnancy and also postpartum so we want to really pay attention to what seems normal versus what might not feel normal and it's really hard to differentiate but even talking to someone whether it's a health provider maybe someone in your family who's really noticed a shift like that can be really helpful so the weight changes are one of the flags, but again, a hard one to pay attention to. Fatigue is also a, another huge flag, but again, very hard to pay attention to. So if you're not sleeping well, you're not going to notice that you're, you know, you're just going to think that you're tired because you're not sleeping well. But that can be an indicator of low iron or, you know, something like that when you've bled a lot. So you really want to pay attention to that. Some people will get headaches, which can be a sign of hormonal imbalance or poor sleep. Again, hard to differentiate when your baby's up all night or something like that. Acne is another one. Mood swings are another one. Um, irregular periods when you do start to get your period back after delivery. So a lot of the signs and symptoms are very vague and very hard to identify, but it is good to kind of understand your body and try to figure out what's normal for you versus, you know, I feel like something's wrong. So I usually will say, Sometimes you don't know, you can ask questions, but if you feel like something's wrong, even if it sounds normal, it's good to ask and it's good to look into it a little bit further just so we can really identify if it's normal for you or if it does seem like it's gone out of whack for you. Um, and so those are usually the signs and symptoms. Right. And I've heard of like, actually at Trust Your Body Project, she's a dietitian, talks a lot about hormones and how like she's very open about her journey with her hormones being very out of whack and it causes uh, like depressive like symptoms and, and big issues with mood and, you know, really tearful days and things like that. So I guess being in the mental health field, we do a lot with teaching the skills and working with the depressive symptoms and coping skills and all of that, how would somebody know or could they just come to you to talk about mood and want to explore their hormones or can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think actually in the postpartum period, it's very hard to know what's wrong, what's not, what's normal, what's not. And so you absolutely, as a client, can come to any health provider, myself or mental health professional or nutritionist or dietitian, however you want to do that. In fact, I think you should probably see more than one person because everyone has their own area of expertise. Um, but generally speaking, I would say if it's something that you feel like you're struggling with, we all as healthcare providers will have some kind of direction for you. We might not 
not know exactly what to do with. Like for me, when people come in, I might not know exactly what to do with mental health issues, although I see it every day in my practice because they're all linked to hormones. I will then refer or say, hey, this doesn't sound like it is a normal reaction. Why don't we look for someone who you can talk to? And so there's always that you know, looking for support and looking for, you know, mommy groups or whoever that you can go to. But when it comes to hormonal imbalance specifically, yes, people can come and talk to me or anyone who really has experience in hormones. And then the idea is my approach at least is to educate them on what's going on in their own body so that they can, you know, sort of use that information and really understand what's going on. And so when it comes to hormonal treatment, like I said, it has so much to do with the hormones, but it also has to do with lifestyle. And so oftentimes when I'm treating women, if they're breastfeeding, I can't give them herbs and things like that. Some of the herbs are not safe during pregnancy. Some of them are not safe during lactation. So depending on whether or not she's breastfeeding, we have to take that into consideration. Whether or not she's had a period, that also makes a difference because if your hormones are still at the place where you're not getting a period, then of course the hormonal fluctuations are going to be different than if you do have your period back. But there's a few different ways that we can go about treating it. And a lot of it starts with the lifestyle and, um, you know, trying to figure out how to get more sleep, trying to figure out how to get better quality sleep, which obviously is hard when you have a baby and when you're running around. But there are little tricks and things that you can do to make it better because that really impacts mental health as well. Because as I said, when you have that adrenaline rush, your body then feels like you're in a fight or flight mode and it feels like it's running from a lion in the jungle and it will prioritize safety over anything else. So the hormones tend to get really uh, at the bottom of the priority list because your body wants to survive. And so if you're up all night with your baby, your body thinks that that's a danger for you because you haven't had any rest, you haven't had any sleep, it's considered a stress, you release more cortisol, and then it preferentially will make more cortisol instead of getting your period back, which is also why a lot of women will skip their period when they're stressed. It's because the body takes the precursors, I guess, of progesterone and shuffles it over to make more cortisol. So anything that creates, whether it's physical stress, emotional stress, real stress, perceived stress, whatever type of stress, your body reacts the same and it just creates more cortisol, more adrenaline to try to get through that safety piece. And it does that at the expense of the hormones. And so a lot of times the hormonal imbalance will be related to one postpartum, but also lack of sleep, lack of good nutrition, because you're not getting enough nutrients in your body to actually keep going. It could be because of lack of support. So all of the other things that create stress in your body will impact your hormones mm. as well. And so we usually try to find all of those other pieces and, you know, help all of those other pieces. And then we also look at nutrition. We also look at breastfeeding. Um, I do acupuncture in my practice quite a lot, which is really great for stress management and great for hormonal balance and things like that. A lot of times we look at nutrient supplementation. So if we're doing herbs, if we can, if not, then we're also looking at nutritional supplementation because breastfeeding will deplete you of calcium and so many other nutrients. We have to make sure that you're getting enough in your diet, which a lot of women don't. And so we're looking at vitamin supplementation for energy and for support and things like that so that your body has one less stressor, physical stressor to deal with during this transition period. It's so interesting. And I think that it's so encouraging to know that it is a little bit fluid, right? So if we are to make sure to care for ourselves and, and start to get some sleep and as baby develops, we start to be able to take that better care of ourselves that some of these hormones and things will naturally start to level out and kind of 
you know, find their natural rhythm again. Is that what I'm understanding? Absolutely. Yeah. Your body actually wants to help you. Your body wants to do what it does. It just needs the tools to do that. And so usually we try to do that before it indicates a big flag. So when there is a big flag, let's say an autoimmune diagnosis or diabetes or, you know, something like that, then that's considered your body's not able to regulate itself. But if you don't have a big diagnosis and you were generally well, you know, prior to pregnancy and delivery, most of the time your body can figure itself out as long as it has the tools it needs to do that. Uh, like that is just, our bodies are miraculous. Like that is just amazing yeah. to be able to think that our body can create this human being and go through this roller coaster and still, you know, work for us to repair itself and, and find its natural rhythm again. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And I do find that there is so much that can be gained from learning about your body. So there's one thing that a lot of women will say, well, I know you told me to eat well, but it's really hard because I'm busy. And I completely understand that. I mean, I remember after I had, especially my first, I was like, oh, it's two o'clock and I haven't even had breakfast yet. You know, like it's, of course you're busy and there's a lot going on. So it's not easy to maintain a good nutrition protocol, but there's so much research to show that there are certain nutrients that are really good for different types of mental health issues, whether it's postpartum depression, whether it's anxiety, and they're very, very important for brain development in the mom as well as in the baby. And so we look at different things like omegas and calcium and, um, you know, different types of nutrients, B vitamins, chromium for sugar. And so these kinds of things, when you do supplement them or when you are making sure you're eating them in your diet, whether it's through vitamins or through nutrients, however we can manage, you know, we just sort of survive during that period. So whatever works for the woman, that actually plays a big role in your hormone balance. And I find it also plays a role in your digestion. So this is the piece that a lot of women don't realize is that your digestion releases a lot of um, hormones and different types of things that control appetite. Or if you're tired, you're going to crave more sugar, which then causes problems for your adrenaline. Or if you don't have enough omegas, then your brain, your brain is not going to be able to function the same way. And so I find a lot of women after many months of not sleeping or having a lot of, you know, busyness or not eating very well because they're busy and they're just grabbing the carbs, which we all crave, you know, that kind of thing, they'll end up getting social anxiety or so, you know, different types of things that are maybe, weren't an issue before, but it starts to become an issue because they just can't handle that extra added uh, stress, whether it's a good stress or a bad stress. Mm, that's so interesting. That's really interesting. Um, I know before, before you run away, I have a couple of period questions. Can we just dive yeah. in? Can we dive into period? Because this is something that women do not talk about. And I've seen you talk about on Instagram and I really love and appreciate it. So if we relate it to kind of this postpartum period, I guess I've got two questions. The first being, so that first period back, and I'm going to kind of talk about my own experience here. That first period back after each of my kids for when I got it like eight to 10 weeks postpartum with all three of them. Oh my goodness. Um, like so early. And I distinctly remember with every single one of them, I was a wreck the week, week or two before. And I'm like, okay, something is wrong. Like, I don't feel like myself. Like I just, something is like, what is going on with me? And then inevitably I got my cycle back like really crazy early. So is that a common thing for a first period back after like baby and all of that? Or it depends. Can I ask you also, were you breastfeeding at the time? I was breastfeeding. I breastfed till a year with all of them. And so everyone was kind of like, what, what is going on? And it just, my body just wanted to bring it back early, I guess. 
Yeah, that's actually probably part of the reason why you felt so off because you're you're still breastfeeding and then your body's trying to bring back a period. So it, it fluctuates with everyone and there's so many different factors that will um, change whether you get a period back sooner or later. But oftentimes there's a hormonal issue going on where your body's trying to create that cycle again and it really only turns off because of the prolactin and because of the breastfeeding um, you know, process. So your body actually is not going to ovulate or not going to create a, um, a period if you are breastfeeding regularly. However, sometimes the body will actually try to do it and then it doesn't get blocked the way that it should. And there are so many reasons why that could be the case. But some women do have their period quite early. And so it happens actually, I would say quite often, I wouldn't say it's the norm. Most people will get a period back after some length of time, whether it's six months or a year, because their breastfeeding patterns change. Uh, a lot of women who are pumping or who are bottle feeding will also not get a period, will get a period back earlier, but some of them will also not get a period back for some time. So I think it depends on also your hormonal balance before pregnancy. So that makes a difference. It sometimes depends on how old you are. It sometimes depends on the frequency of breastfeeding or any other hormones that might be imbalanced in your body. So it's hard to say when that period will come back again. I know in my practice, there's a fertility piece. So women are, you know, anxious to start trying again, because it took them a long time the first time around. So they're always wondering, like, how can I bring that period back? But your body really wants to do things in a way that's like breastfeeding baby, breastfeeding baby. And so the hormones fluctuate differently for everyone. And it's just more understanding how that how that shift is happening for you. Yeah, my body definitely had a mind of its own, that's for sure. Eight weeks postpartum, I was like, I had just recovered from birth and I'm like already getting my period back. Like, thank you so, so much. But yeah. Yeah. And then pretty, pretty distinctly after, you know, getting that cycle back and my my cycle getting into rhythm, you know, I'd have my like average PMS or or whatever. But that first one was always just like a, a big, you know, whammy kind of, oh, hello, I'm I'm tearful and I'm what's all this going on, you know? But yeah. yeah, it's also interesting that this might get a little too complex. So I'm just going to say, say it simply, but I find that although it's not genetic in families, I do often ask women if their moms or their sisters or their aunts had had similar responses, whether it was an early period or whether it was an early menopause or whether it was fibroids or, you know, whatever they had. And of course, the treatments at that time were very different. A lot of women ended up getting hysterectomies if they were having hormonal problems, which we don't do so much anymore. But if you know what happened in your family, that can also give you a clue as to the way your body metabolizes your hormones. And so that, without getting too complex, that in interplays with your genetics and with your digestion and your different types of hormones and your absorption of nutrients and things like that. And so that can play a role, not just with your hormone amounts in your blood, but also how you metabolize them through your body to actually excrete them out of your body. So that makes a difference as well. Interesting. So interesting. I have so many period questions. I feel like popping up in my mind. It's so <laughs> funny. This thing that we've all had our whole lives every month. And yet I feel like I have so many questions. So I'll, I'll shoot another one at you. Um, so I feel, I find as I'm aging, when I ovulate, I get more crampy or like, I just am more aware whether it's mood or body or whatever that ovulation is happening. Is that, is there anything that you, you have to say about that? Is that a common thing? Is that just aging? Is that just me being more aware now that I'm older potentially? 
Yeah, there's actually a few different things. There's probably the awareness piece because you have had three kids and you're much more aware of your body now than you probably were before you had kids. Yeah. Um, so that's one piece of it. Um, and a lot of women will say, oh, am I getting old? Like I'm too young for menopause. And that's not what it is, but your body is changing. And so it's functioning differently. You're also probably a lot more exhausted having had three kids and you're in that phase where you're taking care of them. And so your body will react to its hormones a little bit differently. There's also that piece of the ovulation so your eggs are being released differently as you get older and the eggs will you know you release a lot a lot better i would say the ovulation is a lot more efficient when you're younger and then as you age of course the ovulation changes and gets a little less efficient so that could be part of it um, but if you're having cramps or i guess if it's a small cramp or a twinge that might be a, a shift whether it's in your hormones or you know in any of these other things that i've mentioned but if it's a very bad pain or you're actually experiencing pain where it's uncomfortable then that could be indicative of like a cyst or something else so that can sometimes happen as well when your hormones are imbalanced so it depends on exactly what's going on you wouldn't know that unless you had an ultrasound or something to check it um, but it is definitely normal to experience changes it's just a matter of knowing you know, if that's a normal change or not a normal change. And you have to kind of take it into account with your whole health history. Yeah, absolutely. And I would definitely say it's not like troubling. It's just more of an awareness, something I've realized more since having kids. And I'm like, is this just me aging? It's just me having kids. Like, what is this all about? You know? Yeah. You might also want to pay attention to when you ovulate. If you're ovulating a little earlier, if your cervical mucus discharges around the same time that it used to be, that kind of thing will give you a bit of a, a hint in terms of your hormones. Because I find also when that happens, you tend to ovulate a bit earlier and then the cycle gets a little bit shorter. So you might want to pay attention to that too. So interesting. I feel like one of these days we'll have to have you back just to have like a whole episode of just period questions. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I should pull the audience and we should just dive right in because again, this is something that we all have experienced. We have our whole lives, but there's still some awkward shame and awkwardness around talking about these things sometimes. And we don't know what is normal and what is abnormal. And, and there's just lots of question marks, I feel like, for women um, in this area. So uh, we don't have time. There are, and they don't know what to pay attention to either, right? They're just saying, oh, well, I, I have this many days of a cycle, but they don't necessarily know that it matters when you ovulate or how much blood you release. Like that gives you a hint as to your your hormones as well, right? If you had a really heavy period versus a really light period, these things all make a difference. Absolutely. And it's just something that uh, I think would be so informative and helpful. So, you know, one of these days when I bring you on back or when you start up your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. And if anyone wants to reach out, I'm happy to go over some stuff. I have lots of tools and handouts and things like that. So I'm happy to provide any of that. <laughs> So where can people find you? So I know that you are kind of accessible on social media and things, but if people have questions for you, if they want to find your practice, where do they go? What are you up to these days? Where are you hanging out? Yeah, for sure. So right now I'm, I definitely am on social media. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's just my name, Rishma Walji. You can find me on Facebook. I just recently started a YouTube channel, so we'll see how that goes. I'm planning to do a podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. My website is a good place or on social media. There's so many ways to message me and things like that. And like I said, I do have lots of tools. I'm happy to share if anyone reaches out, I'm happy to pass on those links and downloads and things because I do get questions about this all the time. And oftentimes I'll have women in their late forties and being like, why did I, why did I never know all of these like questions for you? And I should have known this when I was 20, but I, I didn't know it. And I'm like, well, that's why I'm here to explain it to you, you know? So I'm happy to, to talk to anyone. I also have a lot of resources on 
pregnancy, postpartum, like labor delivery, not so much in mental health, but more so around like contractions and pain management and getting the dad involved and things like that. So this whole area is something that I'm really passionate about. So if anyone has questions, they're welcome to just reach out. I love that. So in the show notes, I will link all of your social media and everything so that everybody knows where to find you. And I wish you luck with your YouTube channel and uh, we'll have you back one day. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's always really fun talking to you. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for me. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all, and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.